Welcome to The Winnow, a podcast about dining in the South and beyond. I'm Robert Moss, the author of Barbecue, the History of an American Institution. And I'm Hannah Raskin, food editor at The Post and Courier. Well, today is the spring fever edition of The Winnow because, uh, you know, the weather's warming up. It's time to hit the road and get out and and uh, travel a little bit. And we're going to talk about that. And also, uh, spring's perfect time for deviled eggs, which is a, a classic thing. It, uh, always associated with Easter, and apparently Hannah uh, associates with Passover. And we'll talk about that uh, as well. Well, next, uh, we'll get a little eggy here because I know, uh, Hannah, you recently did a piece on uh, one of my favorite foods, which is deviled eggs uh, for Garden Gun Magazine. I thought that we'd lead into that. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about deviled eggs. What, what, what did you write about? So I'm with you. I, I love deviled eggs. It was one of these foods, actually, I knew of before I ever tasted growing up north. Um, oh, really? Yeah. I didn't think about that aspect of it because yeah. I grew up in the South. Deviled eggs were just everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. I'm sure. So the first place I encountered deviled eggs was in the uh, Nancy Drew cookbook, uh, which <laughs> I'm sure was, you know, it's a, it's a big hit with younger girls um, since the 1940s, yep. 50s. So and I came across, I said, Deviled eggs. I mean, it was just to me, like, it's oh, again, at that age, just the adjective was just so alluring. Um, and I couldn't figure it out. I remember reading through it, and I, I just, it, I couldn't picture it in my mind because this was not a book that was illustrated yeah. by photographs. Um, so I was always just really enticed by this whole idea, like, what is a deviled egg? And as it turned out, once I tried it, I do, in fact, like it uh, quite a bit. I, I love deviled eggs. Um and actually, while I'm continuing on my personal history with deviled eggs, I finally figured out this year, and I don't know why I never did before, that deviled eggs are like the perfect food for Passover, which is where I'm preparing mm. them for, because we already have to have a hard-boiled egg, and you already have to have horseradish, um, which I think is a nice thing in a deviled mm. egg. So for Passover this year, um, I'm making um, just an extremely horseradish <laughs> deviled egg, like a painful deviled That's egg. That's interesting because I associate deviled eggs not with Passover, but with Easter. Um, exactly. Uh, you know, for my family. But the interesting thing there was because, you know, at Easter you dye eggs. Yep. And so at the end of Easter, you have all these hard boiled eggs lying around. What are you going to do, do with, with them? them? Well, yep. my mom would make deviled eggs out of them, uh, which are tasty. But the funny thing is that a lot of times if there's a crack in the egg or something, a little bit of that dye would yes. seep through. Yep. And so you get these odd pink and green tinted eggs that would, they look like they've been sitting out too long, but they were delicious. And yeah. Ate them anyway. Dying eggs is great. It was one of the, even though um, I grew up Jewish, it was one of the things we were allowed to do. Not for <laughs> Easter, but you know, it's just, they had so many cool ways to decorate an yep. egg and they still do, right? Where you put the wax and the color yep. doesn't show up there. And then, um, and now they have, I just actually purchased this last year at like a Polish grocery store. They have these sleeves that you put over it. So it like becomes a Ukrainian egg. They're gorgeous. Yeah. You boil the sleeve onto it and you have this, I mean, it just looks like a Oh, so the sleeve egg. itself is a decoration. The sleeve is decorated mm. and it, it completely um, adheres to the egg beautifully. So I've always found most of those egg things don't they, this they, one works. They, they, they work with varying degrees of success. This works. It's astonishing. Wow. So, yeah. So, anyhow, that's Easter eggs. Oh, but so for Passover, I thought, you know, it, it just seems like the perfect yep. thing. And it occurred to me, too, was since, you know, horseradish is a big part of Passover, um, the plagues, the biblical plagues, <laughs> I, I, I'm serving my deviled eggs with Bloody Marys. And I thought, why have I not done this before? <laughs> so, well, that gets me to the deviled part, which I, I really right. thought about until now. I mean, why are they called Deviled, because the, the typical deviled egg these days mm -hmm. is, you know, you got mayo or mayonnaise, you know, that you mash the egg with, and you start putting stuff in. Some people will make them spicy, but that's not the, def the you know, it's not like, it's you know, not peppery or anything like that. What you think of as like deviling something. Exactly. I was going to say deviled is an adjective in the culinary sense usually means there's pepper involved, yeah, right? I was thinking you, gotta yeah, be you spiced it up, you, you deviled it. it but yeah. Maybe they used to be. I don't know. And then, they, you know, at least in the, the, I mean, the South at the family night suppers or the weddings, they got milder and milder. I but just I would know. say, 
even even at the like the typical church supper or potluck or whatever, you too typically see the paprika over the top. Yeah, that's that's, that's not unusual. Maybe that's a devilment. The, maybe that's enough of a mm. deviling. I don't know. So what I learned about deviled eggs in that in the context of writing this piece. So um, I have been told to go out and find the secrets of deviled eggs, which is uh, really... Where do you go to find the secrets of deviled eggs? I went to Sherry Castle, who's a food writer in North Carolina. I thought she would know, and it turned out she did because she has just um, signed a contract with Clarkson Potter. She's doing the first book of Southern food for the Instapop. Ah, And as it turns out, what I learned, so this was great talking to Sherry. So she had just gotten this book assignment um, when she was in Charleston for Wine and Food Festival. And she had never cooked an Instapot. And she was going home from the festival. I believe there were going to be five Instapots (laughs) waiting for her. And she has done nothing but test recipes since. And what Sherry told me was that there are some things that she doesn't believe the Instapot. And again, we're talking about these electric pressure cookers that are all the rage. It's a combination pressure cooker, slow cooker. Slow cooker, exactly. Either one. So Instapie is a brand name, but there are, you know, many out there. So anyhow, she said she's not sold on everything. You know, people use Instapots to make yogurt. They make, you know, beans, rice pudding. I mean, basically, if you can eat it, you can make it. So it's champion's claim. She said it's not really the case, she said, but she would pay $100 for an Instapot <laughs> if she could only use it to make hard-boiled eggs. Ah, so what does it do? It just speeds the time up? It or? certainly speeds the time, although it's not like it takes that long yeah, I mean, to it, boil it, it an only egg. takes like 12 minutes. To... So I, I, I talked to both Sherry and I talked to um, April McGregor, a farmer's daughter uh, in, in North Carolina as well, who also spends a lot of time pickling and preserving. <laughs> That's what she does. She is also a complete convert <laughs> ever since she got an Instapot. She can't stop making deviled eggs, and she used to hate to make them. So what it does, the pressure, because it's so much pressure, the shells just slip right off. Ah. So there's no longer any problem with getting the shell off your egg. Additionally, because when there is a problem getting the shell off your egg, sometimes you nick it. And yeah, you, that's the problem. You, you cut the side of it, and then it doesn't hold the filling. These two women, who I trust implicitly, say with an Instapot, you can produce hard-boiled eggs that are shiny, <laughs> peel like a dream. <laughs> they have no green discoloration. And this is a game changer ah. for the world of Southern deviled eggs. Does it help get the the yolk perfectly centered? Because yep. that's another thing. Is like you know, if you yep. do it in a pot, you have a you know, like one with like real thin <laughs> wall, and you know, it's all yeah. center. So that's the other thing. It has some consistency to it because exactly uh, that. I mean, you don't want to put out a platter where it's like this and that. So yeah, Instapot. Okay. Well, that's that's a that's a. Yeah. That's a great tip. Yeah. So I thought that was a pretty good tip. Um, a few other tips since we're talking deviled eggs, and then you may have some of your own. <laughs> um, we um, talked about the level of seasoning, my horseradish eggs aside, just remembering that's going to be served cold. Mm-hmm. So when you season, you know, you want to you keep that in mind. Um, and also, it's really important um, to get some sort of acid into it. So whether it be vinegar or pickle brine, uh, yeah, chow I think, chow brine. I think pickle juice is pickle a, juice a great is a, addition to, to a deviled egg. It's sort of what I always put in mind yep. uh, when you mash the yolks up. Yep. What, what are your feelings? Lately, it seems like there are lots of restaurants now, the kinds with the Edison bulbs, that have uh, the the pickled or the deviled <laughs> egg appetizer for like $9. <laughs> right. And you get like five halves, not, so th- two and a half deviled eggs uh, topped with something like country ham and all that kind of thing. Do you have feelings about like the toppings and how I, is it? I really think the topping is unnecessary. And yeah. I feel like it's so often when they focus on the topping, they're not focusing on the yolk mixture itself, which which should be brought into like, you know, as we talked about, it should have a good flavor. It should be balanced. And, and I had a, one of these places not too long ago 
I was really disappointed because they came out. It was topped with all kinds of crazy stuff, but the yolk, the 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 filling was runny. As, oh, as like wow. to the point where you picked it up, and if you bit it, it would roll out onto the plate. You know, so you could you had to eat like either stuff the whole thing in your mouth, right, right, or right. eat it with a spoon or something. Wow. It was just it was so disappointing. It's like you gotta get. You can't have runny uh, no, filling. No, I've actually eggs. had the opposite of, of problem more frequently. I think where it's just so cold and it yeah. has to get kind of rubbery, you know, yeah, and it's just and so cold. There's no flavor left to it. Obviously, it's been like in some far reach of the cooler, and I'm glad that they're keeping it safe. But it's you know you don't have as much flavor. You just get a lot of cold. And I think a little piece of like a crispy piece of bacon or country ham totally. or something is, is fine. But you're right. If you spend too much time on what you put on top, mm-hmm. you, you got to have just a good solid deviled egg because really. A, de- a good deviled egg doesn't need anything else. You could just pop those things in your mouth yeah. and eat, eat like a you know a dozen of them and give yourself a tummy ache before you realize it. Right. I think some of the little like the little like trout roe that they put mm-hmm. on sometimes. Yeah, those nice. are nice. And it's pretty, yep. and then you just get that little extra bit of salt. You little, add, yeah, that, uh, the roe yeah. is nice. A little pop to it or something. Yep. But yeah, you don't have to go crazy. Well, up next, we're happy to have with us uh, Ken Jamison from, I guess, the full name, the South Carolina Parks, Recreation, and Tourism, or just SC Tourism, if you want to yep. keep it short. But, Kim, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I guess to start off, I know we're heading up toward, well, it's getting toward spring break and then uh, Memorial Day and the summertime and all the travel. And I know the South Carolina uh, Tourism uh, Organization does a lot to promote not just traveling in South Carolina, but specifically food in South Carolina. That's um, right. And so I guess we could start there and talk a little bit about what, what your mission is, particularly when it comes to, to food. Yeah. Well, we are always at the cusp of really working to increase awareness of all of South Carolina's products and offerings from outdoor to culinary to art and culture history. There is a lot of product here so that people can see and do and experience and explore not only visitors, but locals alike. But from the food perspective, Southern food culture has um always been something that is really appealing to travelers. People travel for food. People line up um, to get food. Um, I know I've stood in many lines <laughs> um, all over just to experience um, a particular chef's cuisine or something and, like and that. And now that you mentioned this sounds like a very bad idea because now we'll have to wait more and more lines yeah. if you yeah. get more, yeah. more people yeah. to come. Yeah. So maybe we should uh, not, not, we not let's, let's talk about some ways other than, than Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. But we really want to encourage people to get out and explore and I think using food to do that has always been a really successful model and thing. Um, a couple of years ago in 2014, we launched um, uh, under the, the supervision and, um, and direction of our then governor, Governor Nikki Haley, she launched the South Carolina Chef Ambassador Program. Mm-hmm. And one of the main initiatives of that, of that program was to not only highlight the culinary offerings across the state, but to also get people off the beaten path. So we all know that Charleston is a mecca, a food mecca, and it's always will be that and it will continue to be that and it's really great I'm I'm a big foodie myself so I love coming down to explore Charleston but with this program we were able to highlight some other chefs um, from across the state that were really diverse in what they were offering and just allow people to see hey you know while you're coming to to explore Charleston make sure you also kind of get off the beaten path and go to Belton you probably never have even heard of Belton <laughs> South Carolina but there's a really great uh, restaurant there called Grits and Groceries by the um, amazing chef he- Heidi Troll so you may not have heard about that and so each year we try to um, pepper in <laughs> 
Like <laughs> pepper and some chefs that are known, but then those are not as well known to ensure that people kind of go and explore some of their parts of, of the state. And so do people like collect them all? I mean, what's the, you know, we get to see these chef ambassadors out at a lot of events here. I think y'all send them out for seaweed and for the for food yeah. and wine uh, or wine and food, excuse me. Um, but what's happening at their home place? What's at their restaurant? Yeah. So we actually have a ton of information that we kind of stockpile them with when they are nominated. So for that entire year that they're a part of the South Carolina Chef Ambassador Program, we are ensuring that people go and see and experience their restaurants. And once their term, quote, their term is up, they are still um, always a chef ambassador and always a part of that program. So they continuously promote the things that they're doing. A lot of them, too, um, will invite back to participate. So this year at the um, 2018 Charleston Wine and Food Festival, we were able to have 10 chefs participate. So four of our current chefs and then 10, or I'm sorry, six from from past classes. But we've had, um, now we have 16 chef ambassadors. So the program is um, really strong, but it just is a great way to really um, highlight those chefs that um, may otherwise not have had that um, publicity or opportunity or experience. Yeah, it also seems kind of neat that the camaraderie they formed among one another, each other, yeah. they seem to be a really close group, which I think is pretty cool because a mm-hmm. lot of like the Charleston chefs don't typically go inland, you know, like right. they might come from D.C. or they might come from New York. So yeah. it does seem neat to have these networks I across think the, the state. Right. So I, I started my job on like a Monday or Tuesday. And on that Thursday, I was like, okay, take this program and make it happen. (laughs) I've seen this program grow from its infancy to what it is now. And um, I think that's one of what you're, to your point, Hannah, one of the main things that I have heard from our chefs who've been a part of it is that they are able to connect with people and other chefs that they uh, otherwise may not have. They are able to learn from other chefs and learn from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2016, um, the 2016 class, uh, we, uh, and one of the chefs, um, is actually here in the Charleston area, Chef um, Forrest Parker. Mm-hmm. He's with the Vinduin group. Um, but that that group was able to go up to the James Beard House, mm-hmm. and they, are, they cooked this um, South Carolina heritage meal that was phenomenal, but all of them worked together and collaborated on every part of that menu. And I just think that you know, um, that is one of those benefits of being a part of this program that you'll grow and learn and hear about products and and techniques and methods for doing different things that you can take back to your own restaurant. But it's something that you learn from your friends um, in this program. So, yeah, they are very close, too. So it's a it seems to beyond the the kind of the chef driven restaurants. Um, do you have? I mean, I think you have maps or trails, right? What do you yeah. do for some of the more just we do common just food, common <laughs> food things? Yeah. So, like I said, Southern cuisine will always be um, something that is uh, really exciting to people who who are traveling. In 2014, we launched the South Carolina Barbecue Trail, um, and we also are highlighting four of our regional sauces. So we have in the upstate. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're the best to know about this. Um, but we have like our vi- vinegar base, um, our heavy tomato base, um, our mustard or gold, which mm-hmm. is my favorite, and then oil and no, I'm missing light. Well, tomato. Tomato. You're light. Probably, yeah. <laughs> you're, well, the PD region yeah. is uh, a, a vinegar base. It's vinegar That's and right. black and, and a lot of red pepper. So it's very spicy, very thin sauce. Mustard in the Midlands. Yeah, the, for a long time, Greenville was just, had sauces more much like the Piedmont, North Carolina, sort of thin tomato sauce, uh-huh. basically vinegar sauce with ketchup in it. 
it's funny. Greenville's changing now. You can now find mm. all the sauces all up the there. Sauces. It's sort of like emerging. And then there's this almost lost sauce down around the, the Georgia border, the uh-huh. thick red tomato sauce. Yeah. You can still find it in a few places. It's sort of more of a Georgia style that sort of snuck over. But it's funny. Increasingly, there are fewer places that have that, that kind of sauce. But it's still down there if you, you hit yeah. enough little places along the border there with Georgia. So we have actually, um, and all these these trails and all the maps can be found on discoverysouthcarolina.com that we have all of them listed but we um the first iteration i want to say it was um just shy of 200 and now we have about 235 or 240 different restaurants throughout south carolina highlighting barbecue so um i would say if you're interested take a look at the map and kind of see hey let's go to this particular region and then explore what's around there yeah, that's why i remember that when um well, I stopped off at the South Carolina rest area. I think I was coming from Charlotte down. I stopped off at the rest area there on I-77 and on the door of the Welcome Center is the yeah. whole trail and oh, all that, wow. which I thought was cool because it's one thing to get a map, but it's another thing when you're traveling to be able to say, oh, let's pick that up and let's stop for lunch somewhere That's right. along the drive and, and find a restaurant that you might not otherwise found. Because one of the unfortunate things about barbecue restaurants is you, most of them don't show up on those blue highway signs at right. the exits. You know, you have to really know. It's not know, cheap to yeah, be on that. It's not cheap, <laughs> and you got to be open. They give preference to right. people who are open seven days a week, and yeah. a lot of barbecue joints yeah. are only open three days a week or so. Well, so they the, don't show up. One of the cool things about South Carolina, and just the South in general, I, I'm i from the South. I'm from Greenville. Um, and so this is extra special job for me to be able to kind of tout the things that I grew up with. But um, I always say those restaurants that are, um, if they have a dirt parking lot, mm-hmm. if it looks a little questionable, like <laughs> shabby chic. If there are a ton of cars in the lot, that's the place that you want to go. Um, if sometimes I saw another person say if there is a pig somewhere, like a, a picture of a pig or like a pig is their logo, then you want to go there too. That's that's another sign. <laughs> yeah, there's actually an old, I, yeah. I don't know who, I, I really, I've tried to find who came up with this because I read it somewhere a long time yeah. ago, but I, I, I can't, I've tried to find it, I can't, but someone came up with a scoring system where you like, you count the number of human things that a pig's doing and like <laughs> yeah. more points you get. So like if he's wearing a Hat, that's one point. If he's plucking a banjo, that's <laughs> yeah. two. Yeah. And if you know, you can go Eating on up barbecue. to you know, if, yeah. he's, if he's cooking another pig, it's a little, right. a little gross. But you know, at least yeah. that's a, a human thing. Well, yeah. and th- this may be some fighting words here, but I'll also say I'm a big proponent of places that don't pre-sauce. So if a place already has sauce on their barbecue, then that kind of raises a little red flag for me, too. I like to sauce it myself. And really, every bite is what how I do it. <laughs> right. So it seemed this year at the um, at Wine and Food Festival, they had more and more kind of like get outdoors, you know, like kayaking and the whatever they were doing. And I'm wondering if you're seeing that um, statewide with tourism, if people are trying to combine food and something that would counteract the food, like yeah. an activity. Is that? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, some of the other um, food and wine festivals and events that are, that are in the upstate mm-hmm. um, do kind of add those components into it. I think that's a needed thing when you're eating and drinking for a couple of days straight. It is nice to yeah, kind get, of take, get out a take a little walk. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Walk idea. off some of these calories. <laughs> but yeah, um, another thing that I would really encourage people to take a look at are is um, South Carolina parks.com is our 47 state parks. I don't know if people realize that there's 47 state parks scattered throughout throughout South Carolina. And each of them um, on the website has a top five things to do in that specific park. And a lot of the things are really nominal or free. Yeah. And so I definitely would encourage people to do that. Um, but one of the things that is on my little bucket list to do in one of our state parks, it's Caesar's Head up in Greenville area. 
they have this thing called a sunrise hike, mm. and you um, sign up pre for that, and you meet your guide at like I think 3 a.m. or mm. 2 a.m., and then you hike to the summit so for the sunrise. And so I think that we're seeing more and more people being a part of and wanting to kind of mm. get outdoors and really unplug. And that's a whole nother like travel and tourism conversation of just right. ex- escaping the the constant like scrolling and tweeting and Facebooking and Instagramming and just really connecting with the destination through the outdoors. Um, and so that is something that we're really constantly pushing and promoting. I think um, in January over New Year's, the first day hikes is something that is a national um, initiative that we participate in. And then we also have our um, our um, outdoors, um, the ultimate outdoor challenge, which is ensuring that um, people are out in our parks, but also visit all 47 state mm-hmm. parks. So mm-hmm. when you um, complete that program, you're an ultimate outsider. Oh. So, <laughs> I know I, I have some more to go for myself. <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm working on it. Are, are there any specific experiences like that in the food realm that you recommend? They're like, boy, you should really go try this. If you're... Well, so if you really are involved, if you really like that food and wine aspect, I would definitely try to look at it from like the upstate Midlands and low country. So Euphoria in in Greenville is a great um, food and wine experience. They have a lot of teachable moments as well. Um, That one is usually mid to late September. Um, Columbia, South Carolina, actually this year is their inaugural food and wine festival. And it's on April um, 15th. It's a Sunday. So I would say check out that. And it's a, um, a great look at the Midlands area in the Midlands regions for those chefs. And then, of course, Charleston Wine and Food is a, um, a hot one. It's always going to be a big popular event. There's also um, some, the Hilton Head has a number of uh, food and wine festivals as well. I know Palmetto Bluff has music mm-hmm. your mouth. So I said, if it, or I say, if you're, if you're into that, just do a quick search and, and go to the ones that kind of speak to you, but also to get off the beaten path. That's my biggest mm-hmm. uh, tip for anybody. Yeah, that's actually, you know, well, and Anna, not, well, almost a year ago, I guess, did the fried chicken trail mm-hmm. around the yeah, back right. roads of South Carolina. I just yeah, love that, that, that kind of stuff yeah. because, uh, yeah, where else are you going to find out about Yogi Bear Chicken right. in Hartsfield, South Carolina? you got to get off the beaten path and, and, and yeah. check those those wonderful places right. out. And the best thing is they only cost like four bucks for a meal. Right. It's, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it it, you'll spend more in gas than you'll spend on, sure. on the food That's itself. Yeah. The next trail I'm working on, fingers crossed that this goes through, is a meat and three trail. Ooh, oh, awesome. awesome. Yeah, That's I'll great. i to talk to you about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm also curious about that because like, I've, I've noticed lately the shrinkage is now, it used to be meat and threes, now you see more and more meat and twos. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious yeah, to see how many come with three vegetables yeah. and how many come with Just two. Just as long as the days. vegetable is still macaroni and cheese. As long as mac and cheese is a vegetable, that's, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having Kim, thanks me. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks. all for this edition of The Winnow. We recorded today's episode in the deviled podcasting studios at the Post and Courier building in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. If you enjoy listening to The Winnow, please help other listeners find us too. Just go to iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download your podcasts and like us or leave a rating. The Winnow is a production of the Post and Courier and Palmetto New Media. Our producer today was the roving J. Emery Parker. Our theme music is by the Bluestone Ramblers. Until next time, I'm Robert Moss. And I'm Hannah Raskin. Now get out there and eat. <laughs>